0: Welcome to the Kesed Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesed, you can head to KessidChurch.com or find us on Facebook.
1: Hey, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Kesed. My name is Danny, and I'm going to be sharing with you today. Uh, we're in a series right now called Tradition, Legend, and Lore, and we are talking about our belief systems, why we have them, uh, why they are important, why they impact us, and why they exist in the first place. And so today, uh, we're going to be talking about something a little touchy. And so I want to give one more disclaimer. Um, Last service, there was a a mom and a child who uh, rushed out all of a sudden when they realized what was going on. And I don't know how they missed it, but that's okay. Uh, We are going to be talking about Santa, and we are going to be talking about the person, Jerry, who will be here as Santa, and so I want to make sure that if you are uh, coming from a believing Santa home, that we are respectful about that, we're not here to, to, to break down your, your Santa hopes and dreams, uh, we're just here to, to talk about the, this person, this legend, uh, because that's what the series is about, and uh, it's, it's been really interesting, and, and we've, had a, we've had a really good time. So, grateful for that, I think uh, overall, it's going to be a really fun weekend. Uh, let me just say one other thing. This will be just to the 11 o'clock, not to the 9 o'clock because I'm, I'm tired of it over the weekend. But sometimes people just feel like dressing up. Okay, there's nothing special about it. There's nothing unique. I'll still be wearing a hoodie next week. But some lady, this one right here in the front row, came up and looked me up and down as she walked in and goes, who died? So, so Listen. I I thought the hoodie people were bad, right? But actually, I thought the dress-up people were were bad. But it's the hoodie people who have the most judgment. You're like, wait a minute, where's your Adidas? What's going on? Hey, we just change it sometimes because we want to. That's all? Nothing else going on. So I just wanted to make sure and put that out there. There's no agenda and no, I don't have a wedding after service. Jeez. Brutal. Ah. But I could do a wedding after service. That's the most important thing, right? I could. So, all right, today is really a workshop around how to sit with other people who disagree with you, how to just be in the tension around you. I'm not looking for everybody to leave here in agreement. I'm not looking for everybody even to like it. I'm looking for us as a church to practice sitting in the room around a a fairly controversial topic and gain skills to wrestle with that internally. To control our emotions and to process with other people what it means to see things differently. We're gonna create some tension on purpose because of how controversial Santa is. Uh, my wife Erin and I grew up in very different Santa lifestyles, so to say that we had tension for the first eight or nine years of our children's lives is an understatement. She grew up pro Santa. As a matter of fact, to this day, we all, everyone in our family still gets presents from Santa including from her parents, they write, Santa. Santa is the only person who's ever bought me a gift from that side of the family. (laughs) Now, in my home, we celebrated Jesus. And so... (laughs) And so we didn't believe that. <laughs> right, babe? We were all about Jesus, who's the gift, who's the reason, okay? Jesus, not Santa, not this, not this make-believe character, but Jesus. That's what we celebrated. As a matter of fact, for a few years there, my family had mangers under the tree instead of stockings, okay? And that was it was great. It was to drive home the point, but we were very anti-Santa. Then we got married. And Erin, was, was, she's not a very domineering uh, person. She, she's not always trying to push her agenda. But when it came to Santa, like I, I found a whole new level of, of power in her. For there was no option not to have Santa in our home. And so I, I really remember thinking, well, I'd rather have a, a healthy marriage without conflict then, then, and I can secretly tell my kids there's no Santa later. So uh, we were raised in a house uh, with our children. We were raised in a house where there was lots of Santa. And eventually they would all come to realize um, about this legend. And we would turn it into something good in our home. Uh, my daughter, Elena, was the best one who realized. <laughs> <she's>, <laughs> this was pretty much her at all times growing up. She, uh, she's 15 now. She's the one with the, uh, I think she has purple hair, this, this, yeah, purple hair today. Uh, It's normally blue, but she's up in children serving. And Elena found out there was no Santa around four or five years old. And she came home. She said some friends at school told her there was no such thing as an actual Santa Claus. And she sat down with Aaron, because I made it be Aaron's job, not mine, right? (laughs) Because she asked me, and I was like, you need to go talk to your mom, right? So she went to Aaron and said, tell me the truth. I need to know. Is there really a Santa Claus? And so, so Aaron shared with her and she, I remember she collapsed on the floor and she was depressed at that age for like four days. It was a long time. And the whole time I was using this as utter fuel for why Aaron shouldn't have done that to her in the first place. And then I would add like, but Lena, do you wanna know if there's a real thing such as Jesus? Cause there is, now that's, that's good, right? Well, Aaron and Elena finally worked that out. And I remember about, a, I don't know, two or three weeks later, that song, Santa Claus is coming to town. He'll be coming down the chimney. All that was singing in the car. And as the song ended, all I heard Elena in the back seat say was, no, he won't. <laughs> I always hear curious rumblings around this time of year among Christians that letting children believe in Santa is wrong. And there's some pretty valid reasons for this. Uh, First off, that giving children a myth, especially during Christmas, implies that the nativity story is insufficient. That letting children believe that good behavior earns gifts makes them greedy or legalistic. And this one, that belief in Santa means bowing to materialism and all things plastic. I've even heard uh, for quite a long time now that the name Santa is an anagram for Satan, When in reality, Santa comes from the Latin word sanctus, meaning holy or saint. And it evolved from a man, St. Nicholas, Bishop of Myra, that we're going to learn about here in just a moment. On the other hand, many families, Christian or not, are very comfortable promoting a fanciful figure. After all, there's only a brief period in a child's life when she or he is able to believe the unbelievable with complete abandon. When asked some of those parents, what happens when your children discover the truth, One mom said it like this. After discussing my Santa concerns with friends, I realized something I overlooked. One that allowed my children their imagination while keeping Christ at the center of Christmas. My friends presented Santa as fiction in the very first place. One friend said it this way. My children don't think of Santa as anything different than Big Bird or Mickey Mouse, and so I don't believe it's really any harm to them whatsoever. So... Now that a bit of tension has been properly stewed in the room, let's learn about the origins of Santa Claus. As with many things in our culture, Santa has his beginnings in a Christian past. Santa is rooted in the real Nicholas, Bishop of Myra, dating to the fourth century. Let me read his biography. It says he was orphaned as a young teen, and Nicholas found comfort in his faith and religious studies. Nicholas ordained as a priest at age 19 and became Bishop of Myra shortly thereafter. Nicholas was then imprisoned from 303 AD to 308 AD because he wouldn't worship Roman Emperor Diocleches as a god. He also encouraged his fellow prisoners to remain steadfast in their faith the whole time he was in prison. Bishop Nicholas was primarily known for his kindness, generosity, and wisdom. Nicholas inherited a large amount of money after he got out of prison and used much of his fortune to help the poor. Nicholas was well known for giving freely to meet the needs of people around him, fulfilling the commands of Christ to aid the poor, as he said. After his death, the Catholic Church recognized him as a saint, hence the common American usage of Saint Nick as a substitute for Santa. The red clothing that Santa wears is likely founded in the red robes worn by all bishops at this time. Though Nicholas is not the reason for the season, the celebration of his memory played a key role in today's Christmas traditions. Communities from the death of St. Nicholas till the next few hundred years celebrated his memory every December 6th, the anniversary of when he died. In the 16th century, Catholics... Lutherans and Episcopalians perpetuated his memory by including St. Nicholas' festivities in their Christmas traditions. And then, around 1870... Uh, Christmas was adopted as an official lesson plan in Protestant churches, which is a profound thought, that, that there, was, there wasn't really Christmas as we see it now until around the 1870s, and then it became an official lesson plan. And here's what's so pro- amazing. Much of the lesson plan that was adopted in Protestant churches, which is probably the forebears to what we're doing here today, was built around St. Nick. As part of the lesson, Sunday school teachers actually dressed up as Santa to hand out presents as an outreach to children who didn't normally attend. Historians credit this and all the other traditions uh, for turning Christmas into a gift-giving season. Every year on December 6th, people celebrated St. Nicholas's memory, and the memory that he brought was the one that the Lord had laid upon him, if you will. They believe, the, the act of Jesus to people around him. They celebrated his memory by reenacting tales attributed to Nicholas. One reenactment included hanging stockings over the fireplace and filling them with gifts in remembrance of the time Nicholas saved a widower from selling his daughters into slavery. The widower was too proud to take the money from Nicholas and so had decided this was his only option, to sell his daughters that he couldn't afford to feed into slavery. So legend says Nicholas snuck into their home and filled their stockings that hung over the fireplace to dry with gold coins. This act of generosity became famous and well-known, and so still today we hang stockings somewhere in our house and fill them with dollar store presents. in memory of people almost being sold into slavery so it's just additionally additionally entire communities participated in the festivities by giving gifts to one another the white beards that we come to know so well and the other trappings the reindeer and the sleighs the s- sleighs Slays, elves, are likely adopted from various cultural influences being mingled together over the centuries, much like we talked about the Christmas trees last year. All of this has great meaning in the biography of the man who felt as if he was called by God to do the things he was doing. And the things that he was doing uh, were so powerful and so different than the other things happening in the culture that they became legendary, and that's why St. Nicholas is a legend that we still celebrate today. The well-known mythical Santa Claus, is, Santa Claus is clearly founded in a man who honored Jesus Christ with his life and his possessions. That Nicholas gave freely of his riches to benefit those who were less fortunate, no matter who they were, is clearly a fundamental Christian principle as we see care for the poor proclaimed throughout Scripture. And I want to read over you James chapter 2, verses 1 and 4 and 8 and 9 in regards to to what it really means to be a Christian if you take what Nicholas did and what Jesus has asked us to do seriously. He says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, While you say to the poor man, you stand over here, or sit down at my feet, you have not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. There is a theme... That Jesus has put into place this theme of generosity that is so much more than just money. It's it's about being a generous people. It's about having generous care. It's about being a generous critic. Uh, I I think even this idea that, that, that we're talking about Santa for some of you is really hard because you weren't raised with generous critics. Critics who could go, hey, have you ever considered this? And are okay with that. You were raised rigid and, and, dare I say, religious. And what I'm trying to do here with the Untethered series and and with this series is I'm trying to create a space where we can have all kinds of different people who don't have to stand toe-to-toe with other people to try to convince them that their right is the only right. I'm trying to lean into what Scripture says. I'm trying to not show partiality. I'm trying to create a community where people can sit in the room and be generous with one another with their love, with their time, with their their serving. I want to be part of that community because I think it speaks highly like it did during the time when St. Nicholas was actually alive. And like it does now, people don't know what to do with it. They don't know what to do with people who are just incredibly generous with their lives. Um, I don't know if you have seen the Mr. Rogers movie, and I'm not generally up here promoting movies, but I will promote this particular one. I think it's a great show for you to see. Uh, There is a moment, if you get a chance to see it in the theater, uh, there's a 60-second moment in the movie, and I'm not going to wreck it, but where the entire theater becomes nothing but eight and nine-year-olds. And it's really this, this concept of Mr. Rogers driving home this generous spirit this generous amount of of love that that you really couldn't get to the bottom of. It didn't matter how you came at him, he would respond in generosity. And in the movie, it's clear, and if you know anything about him, in much of that, like St. Nicholas, came from his faith. It came from this place deep inside him that was beautiful. And nobody knew what to do with it. And so, like through the movie, it was celebrated. I wonder this Christmas... How generous are you? Not with your checkbook. How generous are you on the road, driving, near the mall? (laughs) How generous are you trying to get to family dinners and then getting to family dinners and finding out certain folks in the family you thought weren't going to be there actually showed up? How generous are you with your church around what they try and do? How generous are you with your spouse on the feelings they're having Uh, due to things maybe they're experiencing this holiday. For me, this will be my very first holiday, a very first Christmas without my dad. I don't know what that's going to be like, but I know enough to know it's going to be different. My wife's been incredibly generous with me. Thanksgiving, same thing, first one without my dad. And so we would just talk about it. And I was a little slower, and I was a little more quiet, uh, and it was hard. But we made it through together, and much of that is because of her generosity. I just wonder sometimes if what we're supposed to pull from the story of Santa Claus is someone that gave so much they created a legend after they died. And that legend speaks, really, to someone who, because of Jesus' generosity in their life, was unbelievably generous. While Santa is not a Christ figure, that must be clear, the Santa myth, really, I don't think is the problem. The problem is that we have let advertisers hijack Santa and turn him into a Christmas retail event. This has led many children to believe that their wish list is a demand list, and if they don't get what they ask for, then they are loved less or less respected. In the end, today's Santa is a mixture of fact and legend about Nicholas, religious traditions around the world, and the imagination of writers and advertisers everywhere. And so, I have a proposition. Perhaps teaching children about myths, as we've taught about throughout this series. We taught about uh, Little Red Riding Hood. We taught about uh, the Christmas trees, where they come from. We taught about the Velveteen Rabbit. Maybe Santa is no more or less evil than those things. Maybe there is some relevance to his story, and maybe we just haven't been generous enough to step into it, to teach it to our kids and to set it where it should be spiritually, the right place it should be spiritually within our homes. After all, some stories such as fables and parables are not empirically true, but they are true in that they point to realities about God's world and the human condition. In this sense, like many symbols, Santa Claus can embody Christian values such as kindness, generosity, forgiveness, Every child could soon realize that even if they've not been perfect all year, Santa comes through because he is generous, because of Jesus who is generous to him. And so, continuing in the tension, what if instead allowing children to embrace Santa while they are young allow them to experience unmerited favor and grace? What if it can do that? Then as they grow, we as adults can point to that experience in order to explain what it means to give and receive grace. And there's a great story of someone who did this maybe better than anybody else. His name was C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was one of the greatest storytellers of the 20th century. And he dedicated the Chronicles of Narnia to his goddaughter, Lucy Barfield. In the dedication, he noted, Girls grow quicker than books. As a result, you are already too old for fairy tales. But someday you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. What C.S. Lewis is saying is that there's a time in your life where imagining and being able to imagine the unimaginable is really powerful and really important. As a matter of fact, I'm going to argue that, that even the resurrection in some ways, uh, those tools may be found in, in working with our children in understanding these empirical truths within fairy tales. Because really the resurrection is, a, is an unimaginable and unbelievable thing that is true. And so C.S. Lewis is saying that there is a time when we're young when we wrestle with these things that give us the tools so that one day when we're older, we, although don't believe these fairy tales, we have the tools to understand the power they hold. And so we are one day old enough again to read them. Many of us have grown too old for fairy tales yet not matured enough to understand them as adults. So my question is, what if we steal something precious from our children when we deny them the opportunity to believe in fairy tales? And maybe not Santa Claus, maybe not this one, but just in general. When we deny them the opportunity to learn and how to glean truth from a made-up story. Perhaps believing for a little while allows them, as I said a minute ago, to later understand symbolism and metaphor, which is a really important part of following Jesus. Remember, Myths and legends, after all, are time-honored methods of communicating truth through story, and the Santa Claus myth, I believe, is no exception. C.S. Lewis, who, by the way, included Father Christmas in one of his Narnia books, for all of you who are like anti-Santa but pro-Aslan, <laughs> you're like, I don't, which, by the way, is a, this is a difficult thing for me as Christians, because I have like, And I'm not going to name names, but we have some very strong anti-Harry Potter people. And you are very pro-Star Wars. And I'm just here to tell you, I'm not sure the the wizards and the force aren't kind of the same stuff. But you're like, absolutely not. The force is a life force. Magic is of the darkness. And I'm like, "Eh, I think we're getting a little touchy here. And I think many times we step into Santa Claus because of something we read in Christianity Today or some other article that said how evil he is and how much damage he's done. And I'm just saying maybe you should step back and think for yourself. Process with other people. Don't agree with everything, but process what it means and what skill sets. Listen what happened to C.S. Lewis when one youngster who was nine years old, his name was Lawrence Krieg, confessed to his mother that he might love Aslan the lion more than he loved Jesus. And he felt guilty about this. So his mother wrote to the publisher. And Lewis himself responded in less than two weeks. And this is what he said. Tell Lawrence from me with my love, Lewis wrote. He can't really love Aslan more than Jesus, even if he feels that's what he is doing. For the things he loves Aslan for doing or saying are simply the things Jesus really did and said. So that when Lawrence thinks he is loving Aslan, He is really loving Jesus, and perhaps loving him more than he ever did before. I don't think he need be bothered at all. There's a lot of power in storytelling. And maybe it's when the stories get told without our full presence and our full heart Maybe it's when the stories get told by what damaged us or by what's unresolved within our lives. Maybe when those stories get told, then yes, they do distract, and yes, they do minimize. But maybe by by working through the real meaning behind some of these stories, they can once again bring the glory to God they're supposed to. I think you could argue that Aslan's as much as Santa or anything else. But I think the reality is They share new perspectives, they share other insights, and they share at a different level. I think sometimes we forget that not everybody processes at the same level, and even people of the same age have different experiences that bring them to different places at different times. And I am a person who believes fully that if we're gonna be the community we're supposed to be, then one thing we need to do is recognize that not everyone in the room is at the same place at the same time, no matter how they look on the outside. We need to recognize that people come from all kinds of different backgrounds. They've experienced all kinds of different trauma and healing and blessing and brokenness. And sometimes things that transcend those are stories, which is why I believe the Bible brought so many of them for us. Because stories can speak to any spiritual weight group in the room. They just do it. They meet specific needs and they're easily remembered. They're like songs. They have lyrics, if you will. And so suddenly you're walking along and you're dealing with a situation and this thing you remembered from your childhood or from, or, 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 or from a, a book that you read suddenly comes back to you. And if we could teach people that there is all kinds of beauty out in the world, the Bible is full of it, but the Bible also points towards the reality that you can see God in a sunset, that you can see him in a flower in a field. And you can certainly see him In a story about a lion who sacrifices his strength and life for the world he loves. What if our job as the church is to redeem some of this that's been taken from us? To redeem these traditions, these legends, and this lore. To reach back and pull forward and drive the heart of God up through it. All for his glory. Lewis's answer is brilliant because he knew what I hope is coming across today, that God made our imaginations and hardwired us to connect deeply within stories. And so in this way, perhaps parents can use different myths, legends, and lore to teach their children to be giving rather than demanding and to experience generosity and grace. Colossians 1.16 says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Today, you're going to see some of that lived out. Uh, I'm going to bring out a family and a photographer, and we're going to talk about the ministry they have as Christians portraying Santa Claus to all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. Um, The Santa family... It's him, his wife, and his daughter. Do not attend our church, but they are believers. Uh, this is a pretty vulnerable thing for them. And so uh, last service was amazing. They were incredibly courageous and shared just the way they've seen uh, this tool work, the way they've seen it bring glory to God. And so my hope is that throughout this interview, that's what you see as well, something that, that might have been seen a little differently suddenly being used and redeemed to bring glory to God. And so I'm going to play a video for you that kind of shows a day in the life little behind the scenes of what they do, and then we're going to spend the last portion of our message today talking with them about uh, what it means to uh, bring glory to God through the legend of Santa Claus. Please watch. welcome Santa and his family here today. I'd like to introduce to you uh, Jerry and Debbie Jung. They're right here. These two fine folks right here. And then uh, on the end is Jerry's wife, Chelsea. Uh, (laughs) Listen, I'm just reading the notes I was given. all right? (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just, they were written right. I read them wrong. Sorry. Chelsea. And then, uh, as many of you know, uh, Michaela and Tammy right here. So, Jerry, Debbie, Chelsea, and Michaela and Tammy. And uh, Michaela and Tammy are, they've been tending our church for quite a while now. And uh, you probably saw Michaela doing worship up on stage. And Tammy uh, they, has been here, really, they've been here since the beginning of the church. And Tammy has the house that you see we do all the announcements in. Uh, and it's, it's crazy Christmas. Tammy, tell us just a little bit about your house, because it's, it, how did that start? As a Halloween
0: thing? <laughs> I always loved Christmas and kind of went maybe a little above and beyond on Christmas just because over the years people have told me that it brings them joy to come to my house and that makes me happy. So um, I started decorating my house before Halloween about five years ago and I (laughs) dress up like this and I pass out candy canes when they come and trick-or-treat my house.
1: And it's quite popular. I mean, it's really, yeah, people come from all over. Yeah,
0: people actually drive up from other places to trick-or-treat my house. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. uh,
1: yeah. It's really fun. So, Michaela, uh, you are kind of a resident photographer. You've been doing this for a long time, and you were telling me you got tired of going to the mall and doing Santa pictures, waiting in line, and so you had an idea. You had your mom's house. And so tell us about that.
0: Yeah, so um, once I had my second daughter the idea of taking two or my second child my daughter the idea of taking two small kids to the mall and waiting in line was just terrifying so um i thought i had this thought like what if we could do pictures at my mom's house because it's beautiful and not have like a scheduled time or something so it's not stressful and chelsea and i have been friends forever so i've known these two for like half of my life and i had heard that jerry was kind of starting to play uh put on the suit a little bit at a tree farm and i was like hey chelsea i wonder if your dad would want to come take pictures for us because she had young kids too and um just crazy thought right let's let's try it and so i asked her and yeah at first he said no yeah (laughs) she's like yeah he's not gonna want to do that um let me talk to him a little bit more and um yeah so then she eventually convinced him and we did it the first year um this was seven seven christmases ago now and um i don't think any of us had any idea what it would turn into um it really it started as just a kind of almost selfish thing like i want good pictures of my kids with santa and i want them to not be rushed and have a moment to talk to them and it has turned into something so magical and it's opened the doors For us to get to do many other things, not just pictures with Santa, but to really bring the joy of Christmas to lots of people.
1: Yeah. Now, Chelsea is who we had to arrange our time with Santa uh, through. Chelsea is Santa's manager, uh, which was a little awkward because I I got her number and I texted her, hey, we were hoping we could could have uh, your dad come and maybe be a part. We're going to do a talk on Santa. And she's like, oh, I don't know if Santa has time to do that. I'll have to talk to him. And then she got back to me. She actually said, Santa said no to today. And, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm really, I'm in this, I'm in this make-believe now too. Like, well, why did Santa say no? And I can't, <laughs> like, I like what is going on with Santa? Doesn't he love me? You know, like, so, but eventually she, she actually said eventually that Santa prayed about it. And uh, he would like to come and be a part, and so we ended up having a coffee, and, and I got to meet all you lovely people. So thank you for arranging that. <laughs> um, Debbie, tell me when you heard that Jerry was going to do this. What were you thinking? What was going on in your? You want to hand her your mic? What was going on in uh, your mind?
0: Well, I thought it was a good thing. I don't know if my mic's on. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, I want to be louder. No, um, he was a fireman. And he would always be able to walk in stores and you know tease the kids because people trusted that uniform, I guess. And but he started bugging people in the stores just with his like jeans, T-shirt, whatever, and he looked like a creeper. <laughs> and I, I, I said, you can't do that in you can't do that in today's you know world and stuff.
1: So when he was at, when he was dressed in his his fireman gear, he could walk up and talk to whoever. Absolutely. that uniform was fine.
0: It was fine. So. This right now is giving him the opportunity to do that and he's good great with kids just great so yeah
1: so Jerry tell us you are you are or you are a retired uh, Vancouver go ahead (laughs) fireman yes (laughs) (laughs) all right great interview let's close this thing up Uh, yeah yes yeah, you shared a powerful story last uh, service. Would you mind sharing it again?
2: Uh, well, when I was a, a new Christian, I was in the fire department early in my career and made a good friend of mine, uh, my buddy. Uh, we're up on a roof, on a roofer ladder. Some people may know it. It hooks into the peak of the, of the roof. And fire's burning underneath us. And he's a real strong Christian. And the roof collapsed. And our ladder went in and it landed on a bearing wall, which means it wasn't gonna go down anytime soon. But we are definitely at this angle. And the fire was there, but he dropped the tip on the hose and it hits the ladder and the water comes on, keeps the fire off of us so that we can climb back out and we're up two stories high. So I'm thinking that God saved me for a reason. And I'm thinking, oh, this is gonna be really big in the fire department waited 20 years for this big thing to happen and it didn't happen so I figured it was because he was such a stronger Christian that's why we didn't go all the way down <laughs> and then this opportunity came up and obviously I don't say yes right away to anything it's it you know I'm the guy if I step out on my own I fall flat on my face and so God has been with me through this whole thing and it's always first thing is no and then I pray about it and okay gosh darn it and, and it just evolved into this. I started at our good friends, Larwick's Tree Farm, and they're good friends of ours, and, and uh, she brought me in out of the cold.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you, we're gonna talk about this, some of your favorite stories. Michaela, you can show us some pictures in a moment. You, you believe, uh, as a Christ follower, that, that what you're doing with your family throughout especially the Christmas season is showing the love of Christ to people that maybe would never experience it.
2: There's, there's no doubt that this is a ministry under God. We get in these situations into the family, into the grassroots of some of these issues that these kids are dealing with and if with the family. At opportune times, we can bring up Jesus into it. Uh, the best thing that I've ever heard is when I'm talking to a little, little girl the other day and I says, what is the best thing about Christmas? She goes, the baby Jesus. And so I know that Santa Claus is taboo to a lot of people, but if it's the grassroots, is in the family, there's nothing that's gonna break that. Mm. It's, it's about God. God is way more powerful than a guy in a red suit. I mean, look how he took on the Easter Bunny, right? <laughs> <laughs> so.
1: That's a whole other <laughs> message. <Yeah.
0: right. laughs>
2: so it, it, we look at it as a ministry we we're open and honest and the kids can spread the joy into their family and we just feel like we give it a little kick start in the season and some of the kids that we reach, you know, it's lifetime memories for the parents to, to go back to that. And it's a real joyful time. So
1: we're spreading God's joy. Tell me about some of those moments, Michaela. You have some photos for us and then
0: Sure. Um, so we have had the privilege of seeing some kids who are going through rough times and bringing joy into their lives during really hard times. We've had some kids who have been battling cancer or have just lost a family member or, gosh, all kinds of different situations, and we're able to bring them into this environment where they can forget about that for a little bit, and it's just joy and kindness, and there's, they don't have to worry about germs or anything else like that because we're in this little safe little bubble and we can mm. just love on them and it's even as simple as saying god bless you if santa says god bless you to a kid i mean that's just kind of a affirmation that you know jesus loves you in a way and i mean i loved it early on jerry asked me now if i can if there's an opportunity can i talk about god with these kids and i was like i never even thought about that and I was like Absolutely. If you see a moment, you go for it. And so he has over the years. He's just taken little moments to just, you know, say Jesus loves you and this is what it's about. And um, so having these families who are, these poor kids are going through so much, the whole families are going through much, through so much, and we can just say, you know, we're praying for you. We love you. And it's really powerful. Um, we've also been given the opportunity the last couple years to be a part of an event that the foster care System of Vancouver does. Um, They put on a dinner for all the foster families in Clark County and they bring in Santa and the team and we get to take pictures for them. And it's totally different than our normal everyday thing because there's a lot of kids so we have to get through it pretty quickly. But the cool thing is these kids are living in homes separated from their siblings, a lot of them are not together. They don't get to spend Christmas together but once a year They get to go to this dinner and see their siblings, and then they get a photo together, Mm. Mm. and they hold on to that picture for the whole year. And um, so, just having a reason to take a picture together, and it just means so much to them. It blesses us like tenfold more than I'm sure we could ever give them.
1: Yeah, it's it's quite amazing what you guys do, Uh, Jerry. Why don't you? uh, What are what are some of your most favorite? memories or or i guess what do you personally walk away from uh after you do a a santa season because that's a lot of work i mean that you show up uh i don't know how many sessions you have but you show up a lot you do you you meet with hundreds of kids it's not just five or six kids and uh but it's a lot of work but you you really feel like this is something god's called you to do
2: well michaela touched on it but i gotta this this team here is amazing uh, it starts at the door, you know, when they come in and they're greeted, they're, they're loved on, they're uh, taking care of their, you know, they just say, what, you know, what can we do, what, what's special with your kid, you know, can, can Santa say something, spe-? it goes through that. When we went to uh, the uh, foster kids, mm-hmm. it was, uh, Michaela kept getting phone calls beforehand, now Santa's going to be here, right? Santa's gonna be here, right? An hour before, Santa's still showing up, right? Well, they had a track record of Santa's not showing up, uh, or they weren't, they shouldn't have been there, those kind of things. So, Michaela and her mom, they come in here with this team, the backdrop, and all the, they're so professional, and they come in, and, and we're doing our thing, and we're visiting with the kids, and before I know it, you see all the workers. They're in tears. They can't believe what's happening right now. And the kids, they don't have to worry about things, they get treated to a dinner, and and they come up seeing their sister or brother for the first time this year, and they get a picture of me, and, it, and it's everlasting. Yeah. So it's the effect that we can give, memories, bringing out the joy, even if it's for just a moment or a quick picture, but that picture can last a lifetime. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, we're, we're honored that you guys do what you do, and... Um, thank you for taking a risk to come in, especially at a church to come in. (laughs) I said, no, I know, (laughs) I know, (laughs) but it it, it gave
2: me, I said this earlier too, but it gave me a time to reflect like, why am I doing this? Mm. And uh, it was for all the good reasons. Yeah, that's right. To give glory to God and to, uh, you know, remind people that Jesus is the reason for the season. Yeah. Well,
1: thank you. Thank you. Would you mind praying for us? Have Santa pray for us? No. Yeah. <laughs> first first
2: time. Pray about that first. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Dear Heavenly Father, God, what a great God you are. We just thank you for the opportunities that any time come about that we can honor your name and show the love of Christ. We know that there is some people here that are maybe dead set against all this, but deep inside of everything that you do in life, if it's done for the right reasons, it gives glory to you. And we just thank you for the season. We thank you for the reason for the season, and that's for Jesus Christ being born. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.